Welcome to episode 22 of the Winner's Circle Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Horth. I can tell you guys we've got something really different for you in today's episode. We're actually joined by a gentleman by the name of Richard Munro. And Richard is an accountant and runs his own consulting firm in Southeast Queensland, Alternate Strategies. We're going to have a conversation with Richard today about ideas and concepts around tax and investment structures and just give you some insights and perspectives that will hopefully help you not only in the lounge room, but also more importantly with this conversation, help you with your finances in the bigger picture. I'd like a welcome to the podcast, Richard, mate. Thank you, Adam. Great to have you here. Looking forward to having this discussion. Yeah. You heard me say they're a very different guest for us. So only our second actually external guest that we've ever had from within the winners and leaders circle. So great to have you here. No problem at all. Looking forward to it. So Richard, let's give the audience a bit of a sense of who you are and why you're here. So as I said, you're an accountant by trade. How, yes. how long have you been an accountant? Oh, it goes back to when Adam was a boy. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so yeah, basically I've been in practice since about 1994. Right. Yes. Uh, so it's been a journey and helped to build businesses and service a multitude of clients over a period of time. Yes. I think I got involved with the group around 2010, could have been a little bit earlier. Yeah, it's been an interesting to watch them grow, but also to be able to proffer advice at the appropriate time when it's necessary. And it's that advice, I guess, that is one of the reasons we're sitting and talking with you today on it, because to describe you in one word, which, you know, and I mean, no disrespect, I believe is unique to you to other accounts we've involved in. You're very entrepreneurial by nature. We've met you through having, in our time together, you've actually branched across three different businesses that you've been heading and you bring that flavor to our business. So where does that come from for you? I think it's just having empathy with people. I've always believed that you need to be, when you're having discussions and you're trying to understand, sit in the other person's shoes a little bit and see how they're thinking and try and understand how they're thinking. But obviously you've then got to try and take that thinking and marry that up with the legislation and the law, etc. So having a bit of empathy for people and what would you do if it was me? if I was sitting in your shoes. That's what I try to bring to the discussion. And having a relationship with an accountant or professional by nature is all around it. Can you talk to the person? Yes. Can you actually relate? And can you get the feeling that they're listening to you? I think that's some of the key issues that I've found over time. Excellent. Excellent. I think you're talking about that relationship and the advice that you give clients. That's probably actually a really good segue for a disclaimer at the top of this Absolutely. episode. Uh, that, <laughs> so what do we have to say? Nothing contained in this podcast is to be taken as advice. So right. is there something formal we should actually say at the top here? Generally, most accountants and things will have a great big disclaimer on their uh, preface to any conversation they have in a public environment. Yes. But basically, it's just common sense. I'm not here to proffer and tell you that this is what you should do. I'm going to be talking generally about many of the different issues and situations that I've seen over a period of time. And it's then for that person who's listening, take that information, go and talk to their accountant or solicitor, whoever it is that they're getting seeking advice from, their professional financial planner, etc. Take that advice and go and have it act to them. And yeah, see where the conversation takes them. And that's the thing about advice when it's general by nature. You've got your specific circumstances, your specific lanes that you have to run in. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We always, even internally, we warn our staff, be very careful of what we call barbecue advice. Right, yes. 
My accountant said, and yeah, no, well, that could be true, but you know, I'm not going to try and take you down a journey um, unless I really know the facts and understand the person's circumstances. And there's a lot to, to getting to know the client, as they say, under the financial planning rules. It's an interesting concept, and I won't wade into it too deeply, but I mean, barbecue advice, I love that terminology. And, and as real estate agents, we're also very susceptible to people asking and leaning on us for that style of advice as well. And it always does pay to be mindful of how heavily some people might lean on that advice that you're oh, giving them. Oh, true. And, and fortunately, some of the advisors that I've met through real estate agents, they've reached out to me a couple of times and said, oh, we've got a client and they want to do this. And I go, hmm, don't know all the facts, but you know, so they need to go and talk to their appropriate person. But these are some ideas or some things that they need to be aware of. Yes. And if a client wants to contact me, then let's do that. Fantastic. Now, let's have a great and good, healthy conversation around that. But before we do that, let's jump into our results for the September quarter 2022. Okay, so first of all, a look at the results for September 2022. And we're going to start with our salesperson of the month in terms of sides. So in third place for the month, we've got Scott Holland from First National King and Heath, led by Chris Martin. Scott, good to see you, mate. Number three spot with 19 unconditional sides for September. Second place, David Bishop from Page and Pierce up in Townsville, led by Todd Pierce. Bish, 21 sides for the month, mate. Well done. And in our number one spot, we've got Kane Shui from Page and Pierce, also in Townsville, led by Todd Pierce. Kane, phenomenal work, mate. Number one spot, 26 unconditional sides for the month of September. Absolutely phenomenal. I also want to say congratulations and a welcome to Stephen Clay from Keyline Realty in Nambour. Stephen, mate, fantastic. First time in the salesperson top 20 coming in at the number 18 spot with 10 unconditional sides for the month. Fantastic work, mate. Congratulations and great to see your name in the top 20, mate. Well done. Now, if we look at our salesperson the month in terms of dollars, in our third place, we've got Glenn White from Calandra City Realty. Glenn, great to see you there, mate. Once again, 156,000 for you for the month of September in unconditional gross dollars. Very well done, mate. In the second place, we've got Matthew Dompietro, who's a name we're seeing more and more. Matthew works with the team at Hudson Bond in Victoria, led by Paul Kunos. And Matthew, fantastic month for you, mate. $157,000 for you for the month. But again, in that number one spot, we've got to give it to Kane Shui. Kane, well done, mate. Number one spot in terms of sides and dollars, bringing in a total of $162,882. Mate, really great to see you there. And also welcoming to the top 20, again, that's your name there, Stephen. Stephen Clay from Keyline Realty, coming again in that number 18 spot. Gotta love that consistency. 82,964 for the month, mate. Really well done. Congratulations on what was obviously a great month. If we move to our BDMs for the month, in our number three spot, we've got Andreas Tripodina. Andreas, lovely to see you there from Benchmark National. Andreas, great to see you bringing in 19 new managements for the month for the team. Fantastic work. Our number two spot, Monique Inglis. Monique, always good to see you in the top 10. Number two spot for you, Ironbridge Real Estate in Christchurch, led by Adam Smith. Congratulations on your 23 managements you brought in for the month. 
and tying you with 23, but taking out the number one spot is Emily Smart. Emily consistently bringing in great results. Also 23 for you for the month. Emily, obviously with the team at Hudson Bond, led once again by Paul Kunos. And Emily also recently got a promotion within the team and is now heading up the property management within her agency. So congratulations to you, Emily. And it's great to see your career going from strength to strength. And lastly, for the month of September, we just want to look at our top prospectors. And we only had three for the month of September. And those three have all equaled on four listings generated for the month of September. Fantastic work from all three of you. We've got Taylor Lee from Page and Pierce in Townsville. Fantastic work, Taylor. Ray Stewart, from Johnson Real Estate, Winner Manly. Ray, great to see you in there under your leader, Gareth Myers. And in the number one spot, Wayne Thompson from Calandra City Realty, led by Ben Price. As I said, all three of you bringing in four listings for your team for the month. Congratulations to, to each of you. If we look now at the quarter that was the September quarter, the months July, August, and September, we now turn to what was the September quarter and looking at our top salespeople in terms of side. In our number three spot, Jody Westcott. From a familiar office, we're seeing Paige and Pierce. Fantastic work, Jody. A total of 53 sides for you for the quarter. Really phenomenal work, Jody. It's great to see you there. And I'm sure Todd and Sue are over the moon to see you take out that number three position. We've also got in the number two position, Jonathan Jessup from the Johnson Real Estate Office in Chermside. Jonathan, 54 sides brought in for you for the quarter, mate. Very well done and great to see you once again appear in the top 20 for the quarter. But in our number one spot, taking out the September quarter, Monica Morehouse, First National King and Heath in Bansdale, Victoria, led by Chris Martin. Monica, 60 unconditional sides for you for the quarter. An absolutely fantastic outcome. Congratulations to you. I also want to welcome to the top 20, Caroline Chaxfield. Caroline from Glen Preston Real Estate in Leeton. Caroline, it's great to see you in the top 20 for the first time in terms of sides, bringing in a total of 28 sides for the quarter. Absolutely phenomenal work. Well done to you. And if we now also just look in terms of our top salespeople for that same period, but in a sense of dollars, our number three position goes to Luke Kunos from Hudson Bond in Doncaster. Luke brought in a total of $346,000 for the quarter, giving him that third position. Well done, Luke. Number two position, Joshua Schweitzer from Johnson Real Estate in Ipswich, led by myself, Adam Horth. Josh, congratulations, mate. $389,000 brought in for you for the quarter, a fantastic quarter. And in the number one position, Jonathan Jessup taking out the quarter in terms of dollars, 416,334. JJ, great to see you there, mate, taking out that number one spot. Really, really well done. All right, Richard. So I think the number one question that every real estate agent wants to know the answer to is, do I really have to pay tax? <laughs> you and about 11 million other taxpayers in Australia, Adam. Right. Damn it. Yes. Unfortunately, it's one of those curses that we have to endure. But look, at the end of the day, taxes pay for our water 
pay for our hospitals, pays for teachers for your kids, it pays for all those machines that we're sending over to Ukraine to help defend them. So it pays for a multitude of different things. So if there wasn't money coming in, then we as a society, how would we function? How would we be able to pay for things and do things as we want to do as a group? Absolutely. And I obviously ask that question very tongue in cheek, but yep. I, I have been sort of moulded with the philosophy that as an Australian, you can be very, very proud to pay tax and very proud of how that does contribute to really, without trying to sound too melodramatic, but yep. a great country that we do get to live in. Look, two things. One is Kerry Packer's famous words is that, why should I be paying you buggers? <laughs> yep. But the other thing is, is that I've had many new immigrants to Australia from South Africa and variety of other countries. And it's really interesting. They do change, but initially when they first get here, they go, what? I don't mind paying tax here. Mm. Look what I get. Yeah, the benefit Safety. from it. They see the investment yeah. of it, yes. Yeah. The water, the roads, all the different infrastructure, they see the benefit yeah. and they can actually see that their taxes are being spent. Yes. So it's a mixed situation. Of course, as they get on and they see how much they have to pay, it's another story. But <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and we're going to talk about volume of tax and our relationship with our accountants on that. But an interesting, I think this is a fair question to ask is when do we pay our tax? So, how does that work for us as real estate salespeople? Well, generally, because you're employees, you're paying tax as you go. So each week or fortnight or month, however often your salary is being paid to you, then you're paying some taxes on the way through. If you receive bonuses at different times of the year, you'll pay some tax on that as it's paid. But generally, at the end of the year, most people who are employees and have had all of their income coming from their employer, they would have been pretty break square with tax. So they shouldn't have to pay too much more, if mm-hmm. I can put it that way. Yes. It's only if they have other untaxed sources like interest on term deposits, not that that was much in the last couple of years, or dividends from shares or rental because they've got investment properties and things of that nature. Yeah. So any income streams that aren't being closely monitored throughout the year, yep. that's the opportunity for them and their accountant and the tax man to all look at that and yep. say, you've profited X off this, now yep. you have to pay X tax because of that. Yes. So what happens initially is obviously some Sometimes if there's been a quantum of that during a year, and so then when you lodge your return, either at the end of October, which is if you do your tax yourself or with the tax agent, it can be pushed out till March next year. Then the following years after that, the tax man looks back and says, oh, you had all this untaxed income. I'll get a little bit of what we used to call provisional tax. Mm-hmm. It's now PAYG installment tax. And so he'll start collecting that. Which stands for pay as you go. Pay as you go installments. Exactly. Yes. Accountants love acronyms. So do salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as I say, you'll pay that in quarterly installments going forward. Yes. Okay. And that's, again, one of those things that's reflective of the individual yes. and their specific Personal history. circumstances, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Terrific. You just mentioned October then. And again, I'm trying to start this conversation really simple for people. So when I'm doing my tax return in October, for what period am I looking forward? Am I looking backwards? What am I doing in October? So every taxpayer has an obligation to lodge a tax return by the 31st of October Mm -hmm. for the prior year. Yes. So it moment, and the prior financial year. Prior financial year, so 1st yes. of July 21 through to 30th of June 22. Yes. So that's the period that we're now doing tax returns for. Yes. But that's if you are doing your own tax return. Okay. So if you're on the record books with an accountant or tax agent, I should say, then they get a an ability to be able to spread their workload. Right. Over nine months. Okay. Nine to 10 months. Yes. So some people then can leave their tax return till after Christmas. 
and, right. and get prepped. We probably try and encourage people to try and get it done early so they, they can see how much they're going to owe, mm-hmm. if they're going to owe, mm-hmm. and then plan for how they're going to save and put some money aside for it. I know a lot of people get really excited about getting this big tax return, like I'm getting money back. I've never liked the idea of a tax return because it means the government's had my money and, and I haven't been earning interest on it. So, But I know a lot of people do like to beef up that, that tax return and get a lump sum back. Yeah, they treat it as a sort of savings account, if mm. I can put it that way. There is a capacity within the system. If you know what your expenses are going to be for the year, you can actually do a, at the beginning of, say, July, August, you can do a, a pre-tax return to sort of work out what your tax liability should be. Yes. You know, using your motor vehicle, and we've got a lot of deductions and things like that that will reduce down your tax and mm. so give you a refund. You can actually organise to get back during the year. Right. Because you can get a certificate from the ATO yes. that says, please reduce the rate of tax that you're charging this person because instead of waiting till the end of the year, right. they can get it as they go along. So that helps cash flow for some people. Yes. We used to do a lot of that with negative geared investments mm-hmm. or people who have a lot of car usage. Right. If you know that there's going to be this ongoing deduction that yes. from an expense you incur as a salesperson, yep. you can speak to, as you said, your tax agent accountant about that. Yep. And that can be factored in in terms of the percentage of tax that you pay throughout the year. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yeah, so there's a special form. It's logic. You can do it online nowadays. And then that issues a certificate, which you can give to your employer. And yes. you can employer can then reduce the rate of tax that they're charging you in doing your wages from week to week. Fantastic. Yeah. So, Richard, if we're talking deductions there, as a real estate salesperson, yep. what are some of the typical deductions that I would qualify for? Well, generally, there's a number. The first one that always is of significance is the motor vehicle usage. So the salesperson's obviously running around doing all sorts of inspections and appointments, appointments, all sorts of different things that agents get up to. So motor vehicle usage is usually a big one, but it's got to be counselled that you can claim your car two ways. Mm -hmm. One is using the logbook method. The other is using the cents per kilometre method. The logbook method has some tricks to it. You do need to record every journey that you do in a car on a 12-week basis. Mm -hmm. And things like travelling to and from work are generally not deductible. Right. But if you travel to a client who's just around the corner and then travel to work, that becomes a tax deduction. Right. Uh, Both of those trips No, just the first trip. Just the first trip. Okay, right. Because it's travelling from your first place or where you live to your first place of employment per se. Right. And then conversely on the way home. If you're coming back and you have to go and drop something off or have to see someone, then it's that last trip from that point back to home is not a business transaction. Yes. Or dropping off the kids or going to restaurants or buying ice creams, as we say. (laughs) So logbook is very crucial, it needs to be done for 12 weeks and has a tolerance in there. So it's good for five years once you've done one. And as long as you don't change by more than 10% in your business usage, then you can use that and rely on that. No matter if you change cars, yes, it uh, just carries through for five years and then you have to do a new one. The cents per kilometre method is a statutory calculation. It just looks at the number of kilometres, but it does put a cap on the number of kilometres. So it's 5,000 Ks per year. Okay. So that's roughly about 100k a week. Yes. Roughly. Yeah. And what you need to do is claim the cents per kilometre calculation, which I think is sitting around the 66 cents uh, per kilometre at the moment. Yes. And claim that as a, a tax deduction. Mm-hmm. Then you don't have to keep all your receipts for right, fuel, okay. rego, because that rate that the government gives is a flat rate which accommodates those costs in there. Okay. With a logbook, you've got to keep all your receipts for your fuel, rego, 
etc. So it's like anything, you might benefit more from one for the other. And yeah. if you are going to benefit more from the logbook method, that's fine. But the tax office is going to say, right, you have to do more work and supply more evidence yes. for you to get that that high benefit. Yes. And I'm a salesperson and you're aware of my history with logbooks. So <laughs> I, the alternate method is it's really a plug and play sort of method that, that's well, easier it's, for some. It's good because it can give you up to about $3,600 as a tax deduction. Mm-hmm. But the logbook method, if you've got fuel now, Nowadays is running at very high. Yes. Where we used to estimate roughly around $1,200 a year is near, nearly up to three or $4,000, $5,000 for some people with the amount of fuel that they're burning yes. and running around they're doing. Then you've got the Regiovi insurance. So most cars cost the average person around about $12,000 a year. 12 to 15 is, is what you'd see on average. Mm-hmm. And so if we can take 70% of that figure, Yes. That's a much bigger tax deduction Absolutely. than it is of the... Simply the 3600 that yeah, you... Yeah. 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 So obviously the value of a vehicle, the government does put a cost limit uh, on vehicles. So mm-hmm. in other words, what we're talking about is if you if a car is worth 70000 mm-hmm. you only depreciate up to 60000 thousand. Right. And same with the interest on your borrowings. So if you've borrowed money for the car, you can claim a percentage of that as well. But again, these things are all capped at some point. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's motor vehicles, as you say. What are some of the other stuff for us as salespeople? Yep. The other area that's interesting is often people have uniforms okay, um, yes. and clothing. Yes. So the tax department doesn't give a tax deduction for general clothing. Mm-hmm. So if you just got white shirts, black pants, tie, that won't be a tax deductible expense, yes. nor will it be a deduction that you can claim for laundry on those items. But if clothing has a brand on it, and whether it's a compulsory uniform or a non-compulsory uniform, if it's non-compulsory, it's got to be registered with the Australian Tax Office as well. But those items, which have got the brand name on them, so you can claim the expense if you have to purchase them. Yes. But you can also claim the laundry on those items up to a maximum of about $150 a year. Okay. All right. So there's laundry and clothing is usually another area that we spend a bit of time with. Yes. Gifts. Well, gifts is actually, that was probably one of the big ones because we do do this as salespeople. We, we like to reward referrals that we get given. We want to buy a nice bottle of champagne to, to celebrate with the sellers of sale, these sort of things. So yeah. how do we manage this part? Well, once again, you've got to keep receipts. Okay. So anything you spend, there is, as an individual, you can claim up to $300 per year without receipts. Mm-hmm. That's a cap. Yes. So that includes laundry and all other things. Yes. Or you can claim up to $200 a year for items under $10 each in value. Right. So the bottle of champagne is not going to qualify. No, it's it? not. Well, unless you're buying the wrong bottle of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> unless you know somebody. <laughs> but the interesting thing with gifts, etc., is that if you really dig into what the tax office is advising, it says that basically if a person's just on a salary, they can't claim gifts. Right. But if a person's on commissions, yes. so salary plus commissions, yes. they can claim it. Right. I mean, our salespeople yep. are. So obviously, I would imagine property management and certain support stuff that maybe yep. listeners podcast wouldn't qualify, no. but we have a commission incentives and bonuses yep. paid quarterly. So we would qualify. So those non-commissioned staff sort of thing, that's where the employer needs to stump up. If they spend the money, yes. they can get reimbursed by the employer. Yes. And the employer can claim it as a tax deduction. Yes. So it's slightly different. Yes. But, um, certainly for the high commission earners and stuff like that, they can claim deductions for those sorts of things. Yep, terrific. As you say there, though, receipts are key. Like oh, if you're going to... 100%. If, yeah, right. Yep. There, there are rules around levels of receipts. More for a business. Mm. A business doesn't need to have receipts if the item is less than $75. Okay. Or eighty-two fifty with the GST included. Yes. 
But in saying that, you still need to some justification or need to be, have some sort of support. So like a bank statement or credit card statement or something of that nature that explains date, who it was spent with and the volume of money. So if it was 50 bucks at the post office, you don't need to keep the post office receipt. The bank statement would cover would that. Would suffice, yeah. yeah. So receipts are a critical thing. Yes. Um, and particularly because we're talking to salespeople, they don't have that real luxury. If it's under $10, yes, but up to a maximum of $200 mm-hmm. in a year. If it's anything over that, then they've got to keep the receipts to be able yeah, to claim it to do that. Yeah. And it really does. A lot of us, by our nature, we're just not good at these things. We don't have high C within our profile. So it's that conscious effort. And that the individual has to make the decision is that if I put the effort in, I get the return. And that's the return in the fact of tax incentives. So yeah. There are some programs out there that make it a lot easier easier for people Mm. these days where you can take pictures with your phone. Yes. And um, that will record it and uh, will save it for you and then um, collate it. Some of them are fairly advanced in respect to what they'll do. Yeah, they read the receipt and categorise it for you and all those things. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. a lot of AI goes into some of that after it gets a bit of knowledge. Mm -hmm. But the tax office even has a app you have on your phone now called My Deduction, which um, is hooked in through the MyGov, through your MyGov account. Mm -hmm. And that will save all your documents. You can take pictures, you can put in the expense and save it. And from the tax office point of view, it will even feed into your tax return if you're doing your own tax return at the end of the year. Right, okay. But you can also send it to your accountant and stuff like that. So it's not a bad tool to have a look at as well. And that's called My Deductions. My Deductions. Fantastic. Excellent. So the other big area, uh, which we've talked about motor vehicles, laundry and gifts, etc., is usually about working from home. Okay, right. And of course, that's been a popular thing over the last couple of years with COVID, etc. So the tax department does allow you to claim a deduction for the expenses you incur if you have to work from home quite a lot. So one of the things that we recommend quite strongly is having a logbook which records how many hours are you working per week from home. (laughs) Most accountants will ask that question. Yes. There's two rates currently running for for last year. One is a rate of 52 cents per hour, and that's to cover a depreciation on your furniture, etc., a little bit of electricity. And then there's an 80 cents deduction, which everyone goes, oh, that sounds good. But the trick with that is that also covers any usage of your internet and your telephone from mm-hmm. home. Right. So sometimes people have high internet usage. Mm-hmm. And so when you're paying 95 bucks a month for something like that for your home internet and you're using it 50 or 60% for business purposes, yes. then you can maybe look at using the 52 cents and claim your internet mm-hmm. and your home telephone. Whereas if you're pretty lazy and you don't want to muck around with that, then the 80 cents. But that finishes 30 June 22. Right. Okay. So that was purely for COVID. That was purely for COVID. Are, are there still going to be, because I, I think work from home, although there's going to be less of it in the future, I think it's a reality of businesses moving forward. Yep. There are still going to be a deduction Absolutely. opportunities. Yes. Yep. That 52 cents, as I mentioned. That's going to remain. Yep. That's, that, that's that, that stage. Stays, stage. And yes. then the capacity to be able to claim a percentage of your home internet and a percentage of your home telephone, etc. The problem that some people try to push is part of their rent or part of the interest on their home loan. Mm-hmm. The tax department really doesn't see that as a deduction yeah. unless you are actually running the business from home. People are coming to visit you. Yeah. Like a, the purchase of the property itself was with the business in mind. Yeah. Yes. And you've got to be careful. There's a couple of things that I've, I've noticed of late. One was insurance. Some insurance policies state that if you run a business from home, that they'll negate your coverage. Right. And there's been some press on that just recently where some people have had accidents and things at home and 
and the insurance wouldn't cover it because they were running a business or parking, in some cases, their caravan or something that was a food van or something like that at home. Yeah, right. So you'd need to be very careful. It's unusual for an insurance company to try and get out of of paying a claim. You you don't hear that too often. (laughs) (laughs) We must travel in different circles. (laughs) And look, I, and what I love about these sort of insights and perspectives is it, it just shows, like anything, how complex and the subtleties and all these little intricacies that can come into all of these factors. And it really just does show the value of having a relationship with a good accountant or a tax yeah. agent that's going to be able to shed some light. And so with that in mind, Richard... If I'm new in my career, okay, I'm starting out, I'm intending my objective is to be earning good money. Do I sit down with my accountant ahead of time and be like, what are some of the things or are we going to get a better outcome from a retro perspective point of view? Well, this is what you've actually done for the year. So what would you do from a strategic point of view? From a strategic point of view, I think having the conversation early is really important because often when we sit down with new clients Mm -hmm. and we start to talk about what have they got and we go, have you got that? And they go, oh, I didn't know I had to keep that. Yes. And to try and retrospectively get the records or get the information that may have been available at the start yes, and may not be there now because the receipts are faded and various other things, it's better to have that and just know, you know, mm-hmm. as I have tried to do with my side of things, I send out circulars from time to time, letting people know this is the sort of things that they can claim and what they should, if they've got any questions, contact us. Yes. Uh, and that way then they can ask questions and sort it out. Fantastic. We've done some simpler aspects there mm-hmm. of accountancy and talking sure. there. If we can delve into some potentially more complicated waters, we a lot of our audience as well are very high income earners. Yep. And so they get to the point where their investment strategies and building of their, their portfolios for their wealth creation, mm-hmm. that obviously goes through an evolution and a change. So We, obviously, when we're dealing with property investors ourselves, we know that obviously you can go shares, you can go properties, all these things. And again, we're prefacing this as an advice, but purely from an accountancy perspective, what are some of the investment strategies that that you've liked for your clients? I know that it's one that some people have different attitudes towards, but superannuation is still a very good tax haven. Yes. If you consider that high income earners are paying 47.5% once they go above 180,000. Yes. Super is you get tax of 15%. 15. But in saying that, if your income is over 250,000, yes, then the super contribution gets taxed at 30%. Right. But that's still 17.5% better than yeah. 47.5%. Yes. So super is a really good tool that people should be looking at and trying to maximise, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. So your employer will be putting in what they call the superannuation guarantee contribution, which is 10.5% of your salary. Yes. But unless you're a super, super income earner, mm-hmm. but most of the people are in that sort of 100 to 200 range sort of thing, it's still a good thing to top up. They can still put some extra money into super, salary sacrifice, as we call it. Yes. And that's a good thing to do to accumulate for the longer term. Mm-hmm. Obviously, short term, the issue is if you're a high income earner, you really don't want to earn additional income from your investments that okay. are going to be taxed at your income tax rate. Right. So that's why you'll see accountants talk about the use of trusts to do investments. So if you're saving up and your wife and yourself, you can do the investments in your wife's name. Mm-hmm. Other spouses, because we've got some pretty high income earners who are females, but spouses are earning high income, then the trust gives you the capacity to be able to look at other family members, mm-hmm. children, etc. But there's some limits on that side of things. But also then to be able to use investment strategies in that space, whether we use treasury companies or certain types of investments which have deferred income later on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 
it's a matter of sitting with your financial planner and having a good look at some of those ideas because tax accountants can give advice on tax, yes. but investments and where you go from an investment point of view, that's really the financial planner's space. Space there, that's what you're changing from yes. one specialty to, to, to another. Yeah, there's laws and regulations around all that side of things. So we're able to give advice as I say, technically around if you want to talk about the tax deductibility of something. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to really whether I should be using shares or whether I should be using cash or buying a negative, I can talk about negative investment property or investments around property, but the actual, how does that sit with your personal circumstances? Mm -hmm. Then that's where you need to use a good financial planner. Right. Okay. Excellent. If I can ask, because probably one of the most common vehicles we see as a real estate agent that people use, and we also get advice around is, is right what you said there, superannuation and yeah. in a property sense uh, that's known as a self-managed super fund. Yeah. Can you give us a entry-level explanation of what that is and why people might use that as a vehicle? Sure. So self-managed super is just another form of superannuation. So most of the big banks and financial institutions that are around have a, a capacity to be able to receive money under special rules that the government allows to call this trust, a special trust, they call it a superannuation fund. And the government some years ago allowed for people to be able to create their own self-managed environments. In other words, they manage their super fund. Mm -hmm. They may still take advice in respect to where to invest the monies within that environment, but they just wanted to take more control themselves than to rely on the banks or whoever they had to manage their money. People preferred to manage their own money. So what we saw then was the superannuation environment doesn't have a real big appetite or rules around allowing you to borrow money. So you can throw in cash, mm -hmm. but to borrow money becomes a problem. Right. So self-managed super has the capacity to do that using a specialised environment called a bear trust. And so we have seen a lot of people wanting to use the self-managed super fund environment to buy investment property per yeah. se. The counsel that we give from an accounting point of view is that performance, look, first of all, the costs to set up. And cost is something I wanted to make sure we covered mm. in this conversation because it's not as straightforward as, oh, I'll take that money that I've got in super mm. and stick it into a property. It's just not that simple. No. So you've got to look at the setup of the superannuation fund itself, mm -hmm. then the setup of the bear trust, mm -hmm. and then the banks are going to look at it very acutely as well because generally the borrowings in that space are a non-recourse Alone. So in other words, when mum and dad goes and borrows money from the bank, they have what they call a full recourse loan. So in other words, they default, uh, which we may see in the future. They default, the banks can take the house, sell the house, and if there's a shortfall, they can chase mum so and dad. So you're liable for this, yeah. yes. We're a non-recourse loan, which is what a lot of the US loans were all about. You can hand the keys back. Yeah, and say and all the best why? with that. Yeah. Yes. Good luck. Which is why, and in case people wonder why you hear people, oh, they bought that house for a dollar. Like, absolutely they did, but they bought it with the mortgage still mm. attached to the property. Yes, so. yes, absolutely. So the thing with self-managed super and, and the bear trust is with all these additional costs, and they can be, I've seen situations where it's nearly up to 10 grand, generally, but the bank will be looking at it and may charge a slightly different interest rate. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously because they're taking on more risk mm -hmm. and they There'll be all sorts of paperwork. So I generally don't recommend it to people who are just doing the standard residential property. Yes. We've been through some good times mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are some investors that have done well in yes. the property market over a period of time. But as we know, everything moves in cycles. Yes. So how long we're going to be in the next cycle, how long it'll be before we see another boom, who knows. But yes. it's more beneficial for larger investments. Okay. That's where I've you know, seen it best used. 
We see other strategies then as well outside of self-managed super fund where, and you mentioned it just before, you might buy the property, Stephanie's earning a lot of money and Russell isn't. So let's buy the property in Russell's name, those sort of things. So what are the advantages and the challenges of doing, like structuring in, in that respect? Sure. Because we still have what we call negative gearing in Australia, which just means basically the rent is less than all the costs. Okay. And with up until not so long ago, interest wasn't as big a deduction as it used to be, but now that's an increasing deduction. Yes. So I can see negative gearing becoming a bit of an issue for people going mm-hmm. forward. What we've seen also then is that negative gearing benefit is useful to high income earners, not to low income earners. Right. Because it's all about the tax saving. Yes. Often you've got to sit down with a client and sort of really map out what's the longer term position, what's the opportunity here, because you can own a property as joint tenants mm-hmm. or tenants in common. Yes. Joint tenants is usually mum and dad, and that generally means that if mum passes away or dad passes away, the other party gets the property automatically. Yes. They don't have to go through wills and things of that nature. Whereas tenants in common would be more where you and I bought a property and you'd have a defined percentage and I'd have a defined percentage. Yes. So... Often when we're going to be looking at a gearing strategy and we would look at what percentage mum and dad should own based on their tax circumstances, etc. And so that's a complex discussion to have. Then the alternative is to buy it inside a company. Now, that's where we start getting into issues around capital gains tax. So properties are in a joint tenancy arrangement or a tenants in common arrangement. The individual will pay the tax based on their percentage of ownership. Mm -hmm. And the rate of tax will be dependent upon what their personal circumstances are at the time. So we look at capital gains taxes, basically looking at what was the sale price, less all the costs of sale, less the cost of purchase, less the cost of purchase price, and take those away and that'll give us a net result. Interest or loan borrowings and all that doesn't take into consideration because that's over on your tax deduction for your income. So we look at those costs work out what the percentage or the value that's left. Now, if you've held a property for more than 12 months, mm-hmm. you can get a 50% discount. Yes. So you've only got to pay tax on 50% of the gain. Of the gain. Over in a company, you don't get that. Right. So companies don't get the 50% discount. Right, okay. There's all sorts of issues that need to be thought through depending on what the personal circumstances. And for our listeners, I think the idea behind this conversation with Richard today, and you can just hear even from the short conversation we've had, is obviously we're sitting in the presence of an expert, which I always love sitting down (laughs) and discussing. But it's giving you knowledge for two purposes. One is for your own personal purposes, so you can have better and more informed conversations with your accountant. Mm. But it also empowers you as a professional. When you see a seller that, as you say, owns a property as tenants in common, you understand what that is Mm. and what the implications of that might be behind when someone owns a property as a self-managed super fund. And I find this sort of information only aids in our ability for us to be the professional and the expert when we're sitting in the lounge room talking to people. So in that vein, Richard, I'm going to wrap this up towards our last question. And that's with an accountant, with a tax agent, like with anyone, what are we looking for as individuals when we're partnering up with either a financial advisor's accountant? What are some of the metrics that you would say that people should look out for when they're looking to partner with, as I said, a tax agent, accountant, financial planner? Sure. Like with any industry, there are a plethora of accountants and solicitors and financial planners, real estate agents out in the marketplace. And you're looking for perhaps reference to other people that you know may be using someone 
Yes. And they seem to be happy or have got some positive stories around what their interactions with the accounting firm or around the accountant can, can be. Personally, as I came back to it at the start, I think it, talk, someone who can actually talk to, someone you can pick up the phone from time to time, they respond in a timely manner. The number of times I've heard New clients took me off the other account and never returned my calls, didn't appear to listen. I got a tax penalty for this and that sort of thing. And that's purely because the accountant's not doing the job okay. and not being professional in their service. That's my personal opinion. Yep. So having someone that's got a bit of a track record, so do a bit of an interview with them. Don't be just fully acceptance of if someone said, the barbecue advice, Tom's pretty good. Yes. And uh, yeah, go and have a chat with them. Spend some time with them just for, just to understand where they're, where they're coming from and how they can ask them, how can they help you? Mm-hmm. I think that's really the critical thing. And as I say, being a, not a partner, but someone that you can reference to from time to time. When you've got a problem, like most of the professionals that people only really want to talk to us when they've got a problem. Yes. And uh, I would suggest to them, well, being a little bit on the proactive side means you might have so many problems. I think you've also, in in that interviewing and speaking to, we've got to appreciate who we are as people and and our personality is more the ability to sit down and talk it out and get an understanding. And your traditional cliche accountant is that high C personality that is potentially even more that introverted personality. And so that's why you say those clients, he didn't return my call, all I get is emails. So finding not only that expertise, but that expertise that can be communicated effectively to you, I think that's a good part of it as well. An insurance broker told me, many, many years ago. You can have high tech, but have high touch. Absolutely. And so personality, being able to talk to people, provide them answers, and even acknowledging sometimes, I don't know, mm. but I'll find out for you. Yeah. And I'll come back to you and put a timeline around it so that the person feels comfortable and confident that they've actually got someone that's working with them, yep. not against them in, in the scheme of things. And in that vein, I hope in you listening to this, that you've had questions asked and answered that you didn't know the answer to as a listener. So Richard, on behalf of the Winner Circle, I really appreciate your time today and your perspective. Thanks, Adam. And thanks for the opportunity. Hopefully there's some answers in there, but as we preface right from the start, go and talk to your accountant. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Richard. No worries. Thank you. As always, we want to let you know as members of the Winner's Circle that you've got the ability to pick up and use the Winner's Circle real estate hotline. And we've got hosting the podcast, Paul Wrigley, Greg Cooper, Nick Skopoulos, and Terry Robinson. So some great people handling that hotline for you. If you've got a sale you can't get it over the line, an ROP you can't get, a listing you haven't, you haven't been able to win and you want to go over that with a third party, your Winner Circle hotline is your opportunity to do that. I also just want to let you know that we're fast approaching end of the year, our annual convention, which is going to be held Monday the 21st, 22nd and 23rd of November. So if you haven't yet booked your tickets for that, please jump on, book your tickets for that. Also take the opportunity, grab your team, come along to the Australasian Real Estate Awards, which is happening on the Tuesday evening. It's going to be a fantastic night where we can honour this year's great performers and last year's great performers as well who didn't get their live awards night. It's going to be a fantastic week. We hope to see as many of you there as possible. Thanks once again for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you haven't yet, please hit subscribe on that button. It'd be great to have you join us next month also. 